Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim entering the Sea of Wisdom on the Goyen and the Tzaddik, Rav Yitzhak Maya Morgenstern Shlita's weekly teachings. And as usual, there's so much to choose from. But what we're going to focus on is uh, one of the most remarkable and perhaps most historic elements of the Rebbe's teachings right now, which are the shirim that have been published weekly on the Sefer Torah Chacham. Now, Torah Chacham from Rav Chaim de La Rosa, we've spoken about a few times. He was the Talmud Mufak of Rabbeinu HaRashash. The Torah Chacham, if the Rashash is, you know, physics, then the Torah Chacham is quantum physics. If the Rashash is mathematics, then the Torah Chacham is applied mathematics, right? The Torah Chacham is kind of taking the teachings of the Rashash multiplying them into so many incredibly innumerable categories, creating what seems to be more distortion, more confusion, more details, more particulars. But ultimately the entire purpose is to break the klal and the general principle open into as many particulars as possible so that each and every particular can then be shown to contain the whole within it. So what we have done is we've taken the whole and broken it up into infinite fractals of itself with each part containing the whole. Very similar to what we spoke about when we spoke about the avoid of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, when the question was asked to the Baal Shem Tov, how does one begin to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And the Baal Shem Tov said like this, and he threw himself off of a very high cliff and he fell down and he shattered. And the Mesharis who was with the Baal Shem Tov ran down the mountain to see what had happened to his master. And to his surprise, what he found is that yes, the Baal Shem Tov had shattered into a million little pieces, but each and every piece was the entirety of the Baal Shem Tov itself that in spite of our assumptions that when you break up the whole and that light of the whole, we tend to fear that we'll find the darkness of particularity and distortion. But what our tzaddikim teach us, according to the secrets of unity, is that the whole and the part are equal. So all that happens when you break the whole up is you find innumerable expressions of the whole itself. The Torah's Chacham was such a significant and is such a significant Tzaddik in, in the in the world of, of the Rebbe to the extent that the base medrash itself is named Torah Chacham. Now, one of the reasons given for that is because the Torah Chacham has a particular shita in terms of kavanos during Shnas Shmita and in other areas as well by Svirasa Omer. And the Rebbe paskins like the Torah Chacham in terms of those kavanos, and therefore some of the whispers are that that's why the base medrash is referred to as Torah Chacham. But what's also clear is that the Torah Chacham takes some of those ideas that are inherent to the deepest level of unity imaginable and takes them to the furthest extent possible. And that's again, one of the reasons why the Rebbe is so mekushar to the tzaddik, the Torah Chacham. Now, one of the things about the Torah Chacham is he was amongst the Tamide Mufakim of the, the Rashash, and the Rashash wanted to bring Mashiach Tzidkenu, like all of our Tzadikim, but the Rashash and two of his Tamidim, the Chida and the Torah Chacham, took it upon themselves to try and bring Mashiach. And the Maisa goes that there was a place in Yeshivat Beit El in the old city, apparently like an attic that is above a certain part of the base medrash. If I'm not mistaken, there's a Shmua that even the Chazun Ish had gone there to examine this place. And while they were Osek in, whatever they were Osek in, 
I might be being Mashalev two stories here, but apparently a very big black dog appeared. And Kiadua, a big black dog, is not a good sign to see when you're trying to be Poel things. And there was a punishment because when a person, when a tzaddik on their level tries to bring Mashiach, there's there's going to be a, a fine to pay, so to speak. So Rabinu Harashash, there was Misa Nigzar on Rabinu Harashash, and I believe that he passed away shortly thereafter. There was Galus Nigzar on the Chida, and the Chida left Eretz Yisrael. Now we just last week, I believe, we just had a, a new publication of something that had never been published before. It's the diaries of the Chida from his journeys around the world to various Jewish communities. Kiadua that the Chida traveled around the world, but the backstory, the origin story of that is that he was involved in this attempt to bring Mashiach. And the Torah's Chacham, the punishment for the Torah's Chacham was that he would be profoundly impoverished. And that impoverishment of the Torah's Chacham is very clear by the fact that he would write his Sefer on torn pieces of paper, almost like a mathematical manual, and then they were compiled into a Sefer itself. What the Rebbe has pointed out over a few years is that one of the simanim of the Geula is the rectification of all of these klalos. So the Chidaz Kever was brought back to Eretz Yisrael a few years ago. I believe on Har Menuchos or Har Zesim. The Rashash's Torah is now being studied more than it ever was before. And the Torah's Chacham Sefer is being republished in beautiful ways. Now, the Torah's Chacham was just republished by Ahavat Shalom from Rav Yaakov Hillel Shlita in, a, in an amazingly beautiful form. But the Rebbe's Talmud Mufak is also being osek right now in, in developing a new edition of the Sefer with the Shirim that the Rebbe has given on them. And that's what we're going to be looking at right now. So... Bikitzer, what the and we're going to get into some details over here in order to kind of get to the crux of the point. There's there's shmuos. There's a certain implication in the Arizal that in the time of the shattering of the vessels in the world of tohu in the world of chaos that preceded the world of rectification, that place of shvira sakelim and the chaotic forces of tohu, which reigned supreme prior to the rectification and ordered placement of the worlds, which take place through olam hatikun. So there's a notion that the feminine quality of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's name preceded the masculine quality of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's name. Now that precedence of the feminine quality of receptivity over and beyond the masculine expression of giving over is seen as one of the reasons for the shvira. That's seen as a negative element, that there needed to be a proper balance and that balance wasn't there. And therefore, in the time of shvira sakelim, the, the preempting of the feminine quality, the shame ben of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or malchus, over and above the masculine quality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the shame ma or zar anpin, led to the shvira. But when describing the tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam, which are a lofty level of tefillin, the Arizal points out that this introduction or precedent of the feminine quality above and beyond the masculine quality is not only symbolic of the shvira and that shattering that takes place as the result of that faulty unity between lights and vessels, either because the lights were too strong or because the vessels were too weak, but rather this hakdama, the introduction of the feminine quality of receptivity above and beyond the masculine quality of expression is in fact rooted in the notion of nekeva tasoviv gever, that in the future when HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings about Ka'ula, there's going to be 
a reassertion or a revolution, if you will, of the hierarchical relationship between the masculine expression and feminine receptivity. And in truth, the feminine quality of receptivity and concealment is going to be shown to be loftier than the higher quality that we assume is masculine. And so what the Rebbe points out is that we have a stira here. On the one hand, we find that the precedence of the feminine over the masculine is symptomatic of the destruction of Oilamatohu. Yet on the other hand, we see that that very same setup is symptomatic of a redemptive quality of Nekeva Tasoviv Gever. And what the Rebbe is going to point out in terms of his answer to this, based on the Torah's Chacham, is that in truth, everything that we say about Olam Hatikun, all of the kavanos, all of the intentions, all of the ideas and synonyms that we relate to when we discuss the worlds of rectification as things should be in their ideal state, can also be said about the worlds of chaos in their non-ideal state. Because in truth, the stark distinction that we typically hold between chaos and order, or the world of tohu and the world of tikkun, is not nearly as strong and written in stone as we typically have been taught. Because as we've seen from the Torah's Chacham, and we'll continue to see from the Torah's Chacham, everything is dependent on the relative positioning of the observer. So depending from which position I'm observing something, I can look at something as tohu, as chaos, or I can look at something as tikkun, as rectification. And because everything is in truth built by the same DNA, and good and bad, light and darkness, both contain the sound elemental powers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unbridled unity, except they manifest differently. So on a quantum level, when I truly look down and I truly look at things in the deepest way imaginable, I come to see that the distinctions between Tohu and Tikkun are not as strong as I imagined they would be, which means and opens up for us a profoundly redemptive concept that even when I find myself in Matsavim of Shvira, even when I find myself in states of destruction or Tohu of confusion, just because I'm not in a state of fixing doesn't mean I can't uncover the fixing within the destruction itself. Because in truth, Tohu and Tikkun are not so different from one another, but rather they are simply a question of the quantity in which we look at them. Their DNA is the same. The existence and essence of these two states are the same. The only difference is how we relate to one of them. If I relate to Tohu as a destructive stance and I allow that descent into chaos to affect me in a negative way, I spend too much time in that mindset. So then it becomes a real descent away from light. But if I just dip down there to renew my investment into Avedis Hashem, so then I have the capacity of transforming that fall into an ascent. We're going to see this inside, but the next point is really the point that I want to bring out most clearly from the Rebbe. The Vilna Gon, in his parish on Safra Ditzniusa, which is basically the Mishnah of the Zohar, the Vilna Gon writes that there's a sod, there's a particular secret, this is in the first parak of Safra Ditzniusa, there's a particular secret at the heart of the writings of the Arizal that is only meant to be given over to Tznuim, to those who are modest, to those who understand the secret of concealment. Nevertheless, the Vilna Gon was writing it for everybody. So what we have to understand also in terms of Tzafredit's Niusa, the book of concealment and the book of modesty, there's two ways of looking at modesty. There's one way of looking at modesty as something needs to remain hidden. It could only be revealed to those who have the key, and therefore it has to be concealed until you're able to uncover it. 
which sees modesty and concealment as a symptom, something that is inessential, something that will disappear when I reveal it. Or as the Vilna Gon points out, the modesty and the concealment of Panimia Satora is not that it is hidden waiting to be revealed, it's that it remains hidden even when it is revealed. That the essence of Nistaro Satora is that they remain Nistar even when we describe them. Because in the end of the day, I can't fully express anything other than the description, but not the thing in and of itself. So the secret is concealment, that ultimately what we come to at the highest point of our understanding is concealment. But the secret that the Vilnagon describes is as follows. He says, if you want to really understand what caused the Shvira, we have to now basically look at ourselves from a neurological perspective. There are two elements in our minds. There's an element referred to as avira dachya, purified air, refined air, associated with a lofty state of mind of keser where everything is revealed and everything is good and and all HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to do is bestow ultimate good. And then on the other side, there's something called the butzina de kardinusa, the dark flame, which is the shayrash of all constriction and measurement and limitation. So we have these two polar opposites operating side by side. We have expressivity and unbridled unity as rooted in the avira dachya, and we have separation and confinement and limitation associated with the Butsina de Cardinusa. What the Vilnagon points out is that the entire purpose, the entire reason that the Shvira took place is because of the Kruma de Avira, that separating column that separates between the calmness and the purified light of the Avira Dachya, of that rarefied air, and the darkened flame of the Butsina de Cardinusa. The entire purpose of all separation in the world is simply a result of the fact that there is a very thin partition separating those two hemispheres of the mind, separating expressivity and unity and limitation and concealment. But what the Vilnagon points out, the Ramchal points out as well, is that this separation, this partition between chaos and order is not essential in its nature. It stands at the ready to be removed, but it's not going to be removed with a bulldozer that's going to destroy it. It's going to be clarified and rarefied and purified until it stops existing from within itself. Meaning to say that the entire partition that separates light and darkness, good and bad, tohu and tikkun, the butsina and the avira, is not something essential in nature, but rather it is something that appears to be essentially real, waiting to be revealed that in truth it wasn't present. Meaning to say that the rectification is not something that is going to come from outside of the brokenness, but the rectification is going to be emerging from the very brokenness itself that in the future we're going to be able to retroactively look back and say that in truth, all of separation between chaos and order and light and darkness was simply a figment of imagination which stood at the ready to always be mevutal. And anything that stands at the ready to be nullified is considered on a certain level at the present moment to be nullified. We learn this out by lulav asherah, for example. A person cannot use a lulav from an asherah tree because the svara of the Gemara is kesuse mechtashure. That the Torah says that an asherah tree, because it stands at the ready to be destroyed, its shear does not exist, even though it still exists. 
Uh, so we see something exists, but we say that it's sheer doesn't exist. The fact that it stands at the ready to be destroyed already applies to it the halachos of non-existence. And the same is true with regards to the partition that separates light and darkness. Because it stands at the ready to be revealed in the future, there's a certain way of looking, this deep secret, which allows us to see it as non-existent in this moment, which now allows me to look at tohu and tikkun, chaos and order, as not two separate entities in my life, but rather a singular entity that demands my way of focusing on it. And I don't have to move from darkness into light in order to uncover light. I could uncover the light that is already inherent within the darkness and reveal that darkness itself is light as well. And the Rebbe says as follows. The Amnan Based on what the Torah Chacham and the Rashash are explaining in our sugya, that everything that we say about the world of rectification can also be said about the world of chaos, about the world of darkness. The depth of the matter is as follows. That in truth, the only true distinction between chaos and order, between brokenness and fixedness, is not an essential ontological quality, but rather it's a quantitative question of how long does the experience last. Because descent and falling away from our original status can be judged in one of two ways. That on the one hand, any descent and any fall can be seen as a descent for the sake of ascent and a movement below for the sake of ascending above again with renewed investment and energy. Then that falling and that destruction is going to be considered part and parcel of the rectification. But on the other hand, it could also be seen and understood as an actual fall and something that's broken. And in truth, the only thing that actually qualifies the status of that fall is the amount of time that we experience in that fall. If we fall and we sit in the fall and we're too stuck in that fall to pick ourselves up again and the yeyush that comes about keeps us stuck, then a person will actually fall away from the lights of purity. But if I properly understand what it means to fall and that all falling is simply for the sake of getting up again, and I don't wait, but I use my zrizas to get up again with new ferocity, at that point, it's a descent for the sake of an ascent. Just like any descent away from clarity, which is meant to cultivate desire for the sake of drawing something further down. And the same is true with regards to Misa. It's not good or bad. It can be good or bad, depending on how a person looks at it. That we find by the Ramak, Shakasav, who writes, We find that the Torah itself teaches us this language of an individual who dies in the tent as something that is meant to be praiseworthy. There's a death that is the ascendancy of the spirit, a mysterious nefesh, a giving over of the self, not a death as a descent into the darkness of death, but a death as a, a, a renewal of life in a deeper form. And that level of death, of dying to myself right now and ascending to a higher level, Misa is not referred to as something negative, 
negative, Ella but rather the life of life. And now we're going to get in and, and just bear patience. I apologize for how long it is. The Rebbe continues and he says, And the secret of this is revealed in the teachings of our master, the Gra, that the Yichud of Avda Av and Avda Sag, that the real Yichud of Keser and Bina, uh, the Keser and Chachma, or the Avira and the Butsina, who sowed Yichud Avira Vabutsina. It's that Yichud between the clarified light of unity expressed in rarefied air of the mind and the constriction and the Shoirish of all Gvuros and the source of chaos, which is the Butsina de Cardinusa. The Kasav Huzal and the Vilnagon writes as follows. That the entire emergence of the shattering, which is the distinction and distortion that we see between light and darkness, between fixed and broken, is only the result of the kruma da avira hamafsik benchnehem. That partition, that column that separates between the two hemispheres of the mind. And in the future, the gul will emerge in a way that. That chroma, that column, that differentiation will be rarefied. It will erase itself and it will negate its own existence to the point that there's no separation between the two of them. And at that point, the yichud between fixed and broken, light and darkness, the avira, the air, and the butzina, the flame of the mind are going to be unified. As we'll see extensively in the writings of the Gra. And what we see from here, says the Rebbe, I'll call upon him, that the yichud of tohu and the yichud of tikin, shavim heim shneihem, they're both ultimately equal. And the only apparent distinction that exists between the two of them is the result of the lack of the clarification and rectification of this partition that separates the two of them. But in truth, in their root, the two of them are equal. And the separation between them is only how we relate to them. Now listen, the Rebbe goes further to tell us this is exactly what he means. And this is exactly what it means when the Rebbe, when the Arizal teaches us the Kavana that a person should have by the Pasuk of Soimech Neuflim in Shemun Esrei. Not the Pasuk, but Soimech Neuflim Rofecholim Matir Asurim. Soimech Neuflim is the recognition that I fall and I can get up again. I fall and I can get up again. Shekosav Harazal, that the Arizal writes, Lechavein Shem Alef Chaf Dalet Tesmem, which are the letters above the shame of Elokim, which are referred to as the name of Bitachon as revealed on Lagba Omer. That's the shame of Katnusheni. So what we see is that Soimech Neuflim, even though I'm falling, I still have the capacity to judge that fall through the lens of bitachon. And instead of falling to the lowest place imaginable, I can arrest my fall and find the secret of bitachon that exists within the fall, teaching us the relative nature of falling. That falling does not have to be judged as a complete fall, but rather I have the ability to choose how to view it. And sure, it's a fall, but I can choose to see that fall as something that reveals a deeper element of light. And these are what the Rashash and the Tarashacha means. The Gambe Shvira, that even in the time of brokenness and shatteredness, 
Im yivakesh, if a person truly yearns, Allah Yizrach or Hashem Lemtsoa Bazu Hashvira, Gufa or Hatikun Habganas Basoho. If a person looks properly at the shattering, they can truly uncover the fact that the light of Akadish Baruch who shines the light of rectification within the brokenness itself. And the matter is only dependent on that yearning desire from the depth of our heart with truth and sincerity to uncover the light of HaKadosh And if you truly yearn it out properly, you don't have to extricate yourself from the fallenness in order to uncover the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can uncover the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu within the fallenness. And in accordance with the element and amount of our desire and yearning, and in accordance with our efforts and desire to uncover the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu within darkness, we will come to find it. The, the, the applications of this idea are infinite. This is a profoundly redemptive and radical idea that is rooted deeply in the secrets of unity as revealed by the Rebbe through the writings of the Rosh Hash and the Taras Chacham as the key to bridging the world of the Arizal and the Basham Tov, that there is no difference between scenarios other than the way that we choose to look at them, which doubles our capacity to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because before the secrets of the Rosh Hash, we can only find HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the light because darkness was the opposite of light. Now, through the secrets of unity, we come to understand that darkness is just another way of relating to light. And when we can understand that the difference between the two stands at the ready to be nullified in the future, then we can start tasting the present right now, how in truth that separation is not as absolute as we tend to assume it to be, Be'ezrus